a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, my fellow wrong thinkers, and welcome to the show. I don't know why, but I, I have this strange sense that I have just been imbued with months and maybe years of job security. Why? Because I think uh, I think bringers of truth, and, and yes, I, I do consider myself a bringer of truth, not necessarily a guy who holds the corner on the market of truth, but someone who speaks truth to the very best of my ability every single time I crack open this microphone. And I think I just got job security for the foreseeable future. Because we are living in an incredible time of um, uncertainty. I'm trying, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. I'm not trying to, to use hyperbole if possible. But how easy is it to discern what is true and what isn't? Let's look at what's just happened in the last 48 hours. So the media apparently has called the election. And, and isn't this strange? I mean, look, I, I don't mean to cast any doubt on their pronouncements that, well, it's over, you know, Biden has won. And yeah, I mean, the celebrations, sans masks and lots of mass gathering and no social distancing, that's all been taking place in the street, literally passing bottles of liquor in some places from person to person. So, yeah, on the one hand, it looks like COVID is done because the right person has apparently um, won. And yet, uh, consider this. I know there are conspiracies out there. Ah, the election's being stolen. And, and here's the problem that I have. I haven't seen a smoking gun. I haven't seen the kind of proof that would say, oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, there's the proof that, uh, you know, the stopping of the vote totals at this time on election night, you know, this is where the hanky-panky began. But I would ask you this. I would just ask you to consider the same people, the same folks, and I'm talking the media, who've spent the last four and a half years railing against Trump at every turn by their own record keeping. The reporting against Trump has been somewhere in the 90s, sometimes high 90s, 96 plus percent negative. And we're supposed to believe that suddenly, oh, now, hey, they're just, you know, there's they're as objective as the day is long. Not buying it. It's pretty clear that uh, we have serious doubts in our system. Now, the question remains, okay, is somebody going to be able to show us definitive proof that there was, you know, some monkey shines going on? And I actually have an article I'll be sharing with you coming up here in a little bit. I believe it's from Jack Valentine. That, uh, that does raise some very, very serious questions. But the bottom line is, the, there, there are those who are acting as if the fix is in, and I'm just going to be a fact checker as much as I hate those fact checkers that pop up all over Twitter and all over uh, Facebook. No elector has cast his or her vote yet. No vote has been certified yet. 
And until that's done, this election is not over. Okay, they can they can prognosticate, but they need to be clear. This is this is what we think is going to happen. By the way, if you want to see a pretty uh, pretty objective take from someone who I don't necessarily line up with politically, but I nonetheless think she's a, she's a bringer of truth as well. CaitlinJohnstone.com has some of the best headlines and and some of the best articles about why this is not the panacea of finally an illegitimate presidency has been repudiated and the world is safe. Let me just share a few of the headlines from her her website and and you can see where she's coming from. Let's see. uh, Here we go. This one, this is the most recent one. Biden will have the most diverse, I'm sorry, the most diverse intersectional cabinet of mass murderers ever assembled. Oh, it gets better. Here's one from uh, day before yesterday. Totalitarian dictator to leave leave office after losing election. This is her notes from the edge of the uh, narrative matrix. Here's another good one. U.S. murder machine now under competent management. Oh, and this, this was actually possibly one of the best ones of all. Don't fool yourself. Your Biden vote was not a vote against fascism. Anyway, I think I have a link to her, her page on the show notes. If I don't, I'll put it in there. But I would encourage you to uh, take a look at some of her articles. Look, there's places where I disagree with her. She's very anti-capitalist, but she's also very, very straightforward in telling the truth the best she understands it. So I'll risk those areas of disagreement to get at those nuggets where it's like, yep, I can see where she's, she's calling it clearly. She comes at things from a far more left-wing point of view, and yet she is absolutely calling out the powers that be for the murderous psychopaths that so many of them are. And yet we're supposed to believe it's all going to change. It's all going to change. No. There's, there's plenty about Trump that, that even his supporters will admit was crass and disturbing and rude. But for someone to believe that, well, we've turned a corner and America's now on, the, on a new footing and everything is going to be great, it's not. The management may change, but the direction that we've been heading of, uh, you know, belligerent, uh, uh, aggressive warfare with other nations where we go pick fights with other nations, that's going to continue. That might actually escalate. That was one of the few things that Trump was really doing right, was keeping us out of unnecessary conflicts. The incredible spending, yep, that happened under Trump, just as it happened under his predecessors. That's going to continue. That'll probably get worse. Now, one of the bright sides to think of, and again, I'm saying this with the understanding, I don't know how this election is going to come out. I do not believe that the matter is settled, and therefore responsible people shouldn't say a thing. And if you think it's irresponsible that I'm saying this, um, I'm going to have to beg to differ. I'm not trying to foment violence in the streets. But you know who was? (laughs) Yeah. All those angry tantrums, all those threats to burn it all down. Now the paragons of tolerance are the ones who are calling for national unity. Well, now that we appear to have gotten our way, we would like to see the nation come together. And I think that's a very, very bad idea. And I'll tell you why. 
It's a bad idea because they are talking about political unity. And political unity is the recipe for the most dangerous and atrocious things that humanity has ever been capable of. I'll actually share this with you coming up in the next segment. We'll talk about, I've got an an article, this is actually a commentary from Paul Rosenberg. This is from 2016, believe it or not. And it's titled, United We Fall. But yeah, all the folks who have been been promising we're going to burn the country down. Remember all the all the images we saw of you know prepositioned you know um, plywood and and things being fenced off and oh we've called up the national guard just in case there's unrest. Don't you wonder at some level if this isn't some kind of a psychological operation, and we're just we're being played or our fears are being played upon. Maybe I'm dumb for thinking this kind of stuff, but again, I'm just trying I'm trying to I'm trying to evaluate the truth as best I understand it. There's some things I'm definitely going to get wrong. Well, but that's why I'm a work in progress. That's why I'm still trying to, you know, sort through things and and I do try to pass on what will hopefully be useful to you. Let's just say those who are saying this the the matter is settled and the election has been decided, um they're speaking prematurely. And I'm questioning whether or not they are speaking speaking prematurely um, from a, a position of actual knowledge or whether this is, you know, kind of a, a psyop or if it's just wishful thinking. Look, I'm not I'm not wishing for more conflict. I'm not wishing for greater unrest. But I think that there is more at play here than, than what we are being told. And if saying that makes me a conspiracy nut, by gosh, then I'll gladly wear the label. Because you know what? Sometimes the conspiracy geeks actually get it right. I know. Tough cheese to swallow, but there it is. By the way, I do appreciate your feedback. And I've been starting to get more and more feedback from those who actually visit my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. If you're one of them, you will notice at the very bottom of the page... There is a nice little uh, messaging form, and you can send me your feedback. And it doesn't. If you want to tell me I'm dumb, that's okay. My skin is thick. I'm not going to take it personal. I love your constructive criticism. I love your feedback. Go to thebrianhydeshow.com. Check out today's show notes. Tell me what you think. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So yeah, as weird as this sounds, and it may even sound a little bit self-serving, I feel an incredible sense of optimism and even opportunity as we move ahead into these uncertain times. And and the reason I feel that way is because I, I just feel like we are in a very unique position right now. Um, look, if nothing else, this, this is my best possible spin on a bad situation. I can think of about 70 million people, 77 if, if you want to be more precise, who are being forced to question their assumptions right now. And by question their assumptions, I mean they're having to really ask the system 
that I just put all of that time and energy and faith in in, in, in participating in the reassurance ritual and voting? What if that system is just a big front for people who want to control me, who are determined to control me no matter what, and they just kind of let me use that as a, as a release valve, you know, a little pressure relief valve, that I can blow off a little bit of steam, feel like I've done something, and then go right back to doing whatever it is they tell me to do. Now, I know that's kind of a stark consideration. That's not the kind of thing a lot of people want to consider. But here they are with their backs up against the wall and having to consider. What if this system is being gamed or what if it's set up in such a way to give me the appearance that I can make a difference while at the same time very carefully denying me any actual ability to make a difference? Now, I'm talking politically, just so we're clear. You absolutely have the capability of making a difference. In fact, you have the abil- all of us have the ability to make a much bigger difference than we're currently making. In my opinion, the problem that we have is where we spend too much of our time wasting that effort within the political realm where that system carefully leads us along by the nose into thinking that, uh, oh yeah, you're making all the difference in the world, when in fact you're just spinning your wheels. I think that a lot of people Millions, maybe tens of millions of people are beginning to have that epiphany. And while it's a painful thing, and I say that with the the experience of someone who has been through that shock and that realization, that is the pathway to owning your own point of view. That's the way to, to freeing yourself from the mental chains that you willingly took on although you didn't realize that's what you were doing. That's how it's done. So I I think the opportunity is here to bring a lot of people to a better understanding of the principles and practices of liberty, much of which can be upheld outside of the political realm. And so if if I seem like, well, you're not that concerned about uh, the fact this election's being stolen, look, I'm concerned at the corruption, I'm concerned at the depravity that I see on display. But I'm also very grateful to be in a position where I have the ability to reach, you know, at this point, thousands of people on a daily basis, but potentially millions of people as that need for for people who will speak truth and bring truth and bring light continues to expand. I'm just grateful to be a part of it. I don't mean like, yeah, it's great. I mean, I mean like literally, I thank God daily for giving me this opportunity and this, this stewardship as I see it to be one of those people who helps to build and, and create content and, and platforms from which the truth can be spoken. And I think that opportunity is just getting larger by the minute. So that's a good thing. Let's talk about why political unity is the worst for what humanity has to offer. This is going to rub some people the wrong way, but I love it. Paul Rosenberg wrote this uh, back in uh, August of 2016. And he says, like you, I've heard united we stand, divided we fall hundreds of times, probably thousands. In fact, he says, we've heard it so many times that by now, It triggers emotions in us. Altogether, we can't be stopped, and so on. 
except he says that it's mainly a trap. Unity is the downward path, the road to decline. And here's what he means. In fact, he says being united has value in very few areas of life. For instance, if you want a mass of bodies to charge another mass of bodies on the other side of a battlefield, well, yeah, then unity matters. But when you want honesty, intelligence, compassion, innovation, and evolution, unity is your enemy. He says unity works for body power, but it works against all the higher and better aspects of our nature. And to be blunt, that's why the sacrifice collectors of mankind love unity. They want obedient bodies, not self-determinant minds. And here's where we have to make this careful distinction. Not all unity is created equally. Those who are calling for national unity right now are calling for, you know, political unity. But essentially what they're saying isn't so much, let's come together and I'll, you know, I'll forgive you and you forgive me. It's more like, let's come together and you shut up and do as you're told. And there are people who, for the sake of, well, I just want to get along, you know, are going to be willing to do that. Here's what they're missing. Paul Rosenberg says the really pernicious thing about unity is that it's sold as some kind of a spiritual ideal. We each sacrifice ourselves and then we somehow become magical collective superheroes. And he says again, this is false. The high and good, the truly spiritual forms only in individual. And then he illustrates, the more united our minds are, the farther they sink to an animal level. The more individual our minds are, the more they rise toward the good and the ultimate. So unity in the religious sense is a spiritualized dream of a free fix. By embracing unity, people hope to solve their personal deficits by magic. Unification calls the magic down from heaven and boom, we're all fixed. No work required. It's spiritual after all. But he says the truth is this. Where individuality has had the upper hand, prosperity, growth, and invention have defined the times. Where collective ideals like melting into one have had the upper hand. Humanity has sunk toward an animal level of existence. You want proof? Okay. Every mass tragedy since 1900 has not only featured unity, but has been built with unity as its central component. This becomes utterly obvious with the use of just one word. Collectivism. Collectivism is unity by definition, and it stood at the heart of Mao's China and Lenin and Stalin's USSR, Pol Pot's Cambodia, and the various Kim's North Korea. As a first approximation, these unity traps killed 100 million people. And then we can add Hitler and Mussolini, who also enforced unity. Nonconformists were imprisoned or killed. And we have tens of more millions dead here. He says, this fact hasn't been lost on observers. Here are just two quotes. Gustave Le Bon said, An individual immersed for some length of time in a crowd soon finds himself, either in consequence of magnetic influence given out by the crowd or from some other cause of which we are ignorant, in a special state which much resembles the state of fascination in which the hypnotized individual finds himself in the hands of the hypnotizer. That's profound. How about this quote from Charlie Chaplin? Man, as an individual, is a genius, but man in the mass form, a headless monster, a great brutish idiot that goes where prodded. End quote. 
And as Paul Rosenberg points out, yes, our abusers know this too. Here's a quote from Edward Bernays, who made a living teaching people to manipulate the masses. Quote, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. He says, Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We're going to come back to this just the other side of our break. Are you feeling uncomfortable? Or is your comfort zone expanding? We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show, my fellow wrong thinker. I am sharing with you an essay from Paul Rosenberg. It's titled, United We Fall. I've actually shared this one on the show a couple of times over the years. It was written in August of 2016, and it could not be more relevant than it is today. As he talks about how uh, those calls for unity, those calls for political unity in particular, are much more dangerous than most of us realize because they are asking us to give up our genius as individuals and to subsume ourselves in the crowd and become part of the collective. Now, you've heard me talk about, I really believe the only real battle that's going play, going on right now isn't so much left versus right, it's the collective versus the individual. And by the way, Paul Rosenberg says, do you need some more proof? Do you want some thoughts from people who knew something about creativity, discovery, and creating a better world? This is what they have to say on the matter of unity or the individual. Albert Einstein said, everything that is really great and inspiring is created by the individual who can labor in freedom. Albert Schweitzer said, civilization can only revive when there shall come into being a number of individuals, in a number of individuals, a new tone of mind independent of the one prevalent among the crowd and in opposition to it. The ethical comes into existence only in individuals. Think about that. There's a reason we call it mob mentality. Nobody feels individually responsible for what the mob is doing, just like no snowflake feels responsible for the damage the avalanche is doing. How about this from John Steinbeck? This I believe, that the free exploring mind of the individual human is the most valuable thing in the world. Now, Paul Rosenberg takes this a couple steps further and points out how every leader of a movement or every wannabe leader of a movement stresses the necessity of numbers. Every one of us needs to show up and make them take notice. That, I hasten to tell you, he says, is a fatal error. It's wonderful for the wannabe leader. After all, he gets to be the great one. But it destroys his followers. When you have a mass movement following a, quote, noble leadership, individual-level virtues are squeezed out and actual improvement along with it. And this is why. Listening to the leader displaces self-judgment. Following the leader displaces self-motivation. Lauding the courage of the leader displaces the courage to act alone. Quoting the words of the leader displaces self-responsibility. 
Paul Rosenberg says, quoting the words of the leader, uh, you know, that that you're not thinking for yourself. You're just chanting slogans, right? He says, if we want to make real and enduring progress in the world, we must each make our own decisions. We must each take full responsibility for our lives. And this is the important part. We must each muster the courage to act alone. And until we can do that, we won't move the world forward by any appreciable amount. Mass movements and leaders always drag us in the wrong direction. So if you want a pile of bodies to knock down other bodies, unity's your ticket. If you want a large number of people to turn off their minds and obey you, unity is also your ticket, especially if you mix in some fear. But if you want thinking, creative, upright, beneficial human beings, ditch unity and call for self-will. His point being, as individuals we rise, united we fall. Pretty good stuff. By the way, I will have a link to this in the show notes, and I would encourage you, scope it out for yourself. Make up your own mind. I'm not saying you have to believe this. I'm just saying, give it some thought. I want to turn for a moment here to uh, something that happened last night. My family and I were just finishing up a little bit of family time, and uh, my wife's phone went off. That, uh, you know, that horrifying alert tone sounded, and uh, I, I got sick of this uh, some time ago and shut off all the alerts on my phone, mainly because uh, my governor, the governor of the state of Utah, Gary Herbert, uses this kind of like a kid who's discovered, you know, his uncle's bullhorn out in the garage and just can't help but go out and, you know, shout things to the neighborhood with it. But uh, sure enough, here came this warning. Well, here's what's going on. Everybody needs to tune into their local TV stations at 930. There's going to be an important announcement. And sure enough, yeah, there's there was a bunch of announcements about how we are in an unsustainable pattern of COVID-19 infections and hospitalizations. And so uh, they're, they're putting, apparently, trying to put some real teeth into how COVID is being addressed in the state of Utah. And this includes greater lockdowns, $10,000 fine per incident. If you have some kind of organized gathering, apparently there have been some parties and whatnot in uh, university towns where um, you've had hundreds or hundreds of students getting together. We're talking mandatory testing uh, for COVID. And see, this is so ironic to me because, as I mentioned last week, I was sick pretty much the whole week. Sick enough that I finally went, okay, all right, uncle, I'm going to go get tested. And yet when I showed up at one of the state testing sites, I was turned away. With maybe eight cars sitting there in the line. My car, along with two others, was turned away and we were told, sorry, we're at capacity right now. Come back tomorrow. Does that sound like something they would do if, if, there's, if this was really, you know, a matter of, oh my gosh, you know, we need to know. We need to know how many people are infected and start doing all the contact tracing. No, that just seems like bureaucracy, doing what bureaucracy does. All right, we hit the arbitrary number. Let's go do our thing. So here's the thing. It appears that the little uh, lockdown authoritarians are now moving very swiftly to consolidate their hold on power. I mean, after all, it's been almost a week since the voters t- partook in the civic sacrament. We better lock this thing down, and that's uh, that's what the governor is trying to do. Now, look, this is not legitimately passed legislation. It ought not have the force of law. It's a mandate. 
It would be very different if this was something coming from the duly elected legislative body which is given the lawmaking powers in the state of Utah. But that's not what's happening. And to say that there is anger over this is to put it mildly. I mean, it's uh, this is a very hard shove back on the part of the authoritarians, the lockdown authoritarians. And it's going to be curious to see how people handle this. You know, my first response in, in, in hearing this was, I, I just was like, enough. Enough. Because I could feel the anger starting to rise. And I'm like, okay, if you're trying to push me to get angry, that's not a good thing. I don't do my best thinking when I'm mad. And so, you know, I want to give myself a little bit of time to calm down and think about it. But I do not believe this is a correct use of government power. And I think it ignores something very important. In fact, I'm going to share with you an article published last week. Death by Lockdown. This is from Jeffrey Tucker. And as scary as COVID may be, and I say this as someone who very likely has just spent the last 10 days or so fighting COVID. I haven't made it official because they wouldn't test me. It is absolutely wrong to battle this illness by shutting down everything. And you're going to see businesses fail. You're going to see people pushed into debt and despair. And that's what Jeff Tucker's talking about here. He says, on March 28th, very early in the pandemic, the American Institute for Economic Research published an article that he says he felt at the time received far too little attention. Drugs, suicide, and crime. Empirical estimates of the human toll of the shutdown. This was by economists Audrey and Thomas Duncan. And it cited empirical literature on the human toll of economic devastation. Now, this article forecast more than 100,000 excess deaths due to drug overdoses, suicide, alcoholism, homicide, and untreated depression. All a result, not of the virus, but of policies of mandatory human separation, economic downturn, business and school closures, closed medical services, and general depression that comes with a loss of freedom and choice. Jeffrey Tucker says these two economists demonstrated that as bad as a virus is, policies that wreck normal social functioning will cause massive and completely unnecessary suffering and death. And because the article was so well cited with references, references to all the available literature, he says, I thought it would make a difference. But he says, after it appeared, it was crickets. He says, I was amazed. Here you have a beautiful piece of research that perfectly forecasted the nightmare being created by politicians and their advisors, and it made no dent in the national narrative. And he says, now here we are seven months later, and the worst has come true. He says, these two economists should be considered prophets. Sure enough, the Centers for Disease Control has documented a shocking number of excess deaths not from COVID. We'll actually delve into these just the other side of our break. I know it sounds cynical to say it's all about power. They just want more power. But that appears to be what's playing out before us. Now the question is, are you going to go along with it? This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I am sharing with you an article from Jeffrey Tucker. It's called Death by Lockdown. Now, I get it. COVID is serious stuff. And yes, there are people to whom, uh, you know, this has contributed to their untimely death. But for some reason, we're supposed to focus solely on the virus and solely on those people who may have been afflicted with it and not on the other deaths that are not COVID-related that nonetheless can be traced to the lockdowns and the despair caused by the lockdowns. This is from Dr. Scott Atlas, summarizing the shocking number of excess deaths not from COVID. Among Hispanics, 40% excess deaths not COVID-related. Blacks, 46%. Whites, 38% not COVID-related. Among the 25 to 54-year-old demographic, 77% excess deaths not COVID-related. 65-plus, 39% not COVID-related. And the most startling data concerns this age group of 25 to 44. As Jeff Tucker points out, this is a group with a COVID-related infection fatality rate of 0.0092%, which is to say barely a disease at all for nearly everyone in that group. And yet they are dying at a rate far above what's expected and mostly from issues not related to COVID. His point is there shouldn't be any excess deaths but instead we find people dropping dead in ways that were not expected and that are shocking. And he has some charts here that that show you what these deaths look like. The relevant part of the graph, which, by the way, is from the CDC, which marks above expected deaths this year, are those dark black and blue portions of the graph which indicate non COVID deaths. And then he says, consider the CDC's attempt to mask what's really going on here, carefully trying not to use the word lockdown. This is from the CDC, quote, overall an estimated 299,028 excess deaths have occurred in the United States from late January through October 3rd, 2020. Did you get that number? 299,028 excess deaths. I know you hear the number bandied about a lot about, well, a quarter of a million people have died of COVID. No, a quarter of a million people have been listed as COVID-related deaths. The ones that died with and the ones that died of, again, two separate things. The numbers of people who actually died of COVID, far, far lower. But that's a discussion for another time. But nearly 300,000 excess deaths in the United States from late January through October 3rd, with two-thirds attributed to COVID-19. The largest percentage increases were seen among adults aged 25 to 44 and among Hispanic or Latino persons. These results, according to the CDC, provide information about the degree to which COVID-19 deaths might be under-ascertained and inform efforts to prevent mortality directly or indirectly associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, such as efforts to minimize disruptions to health care. Now, as Jeff Tucker points out, that's the CDC's way of saying these policies are killing people. 
As for minimizing disruptions to health care, a major factor here is that people have been completely avoiding getting health care this year for fear of COVID, for fear of contact tracing, and also because many medical services have been forcibly reserved for people with COVID and to hell with everyone else. Cancer screenings, routine checkups, normal procedures, to say nothing of dentistry, have certainly been disrupted. So now we can see the carnage in plain daylight. The report avoids speculation about the causes of these mysterious deaths, but does offer this one hint, quote, Specifically, deaths from circulatory diseases, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, and respiratory diseases have increased in 2020 relative to past years. And it's unclear to what extent these represent misclassified COVID-19 deaths or deaths indirectly related to the pandemic. In other words, because of disruptions in healthcare access or utilization, end quote. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says that's a rather cold way of saying that the lockdowns have failed completely to protect the most vulnerable and instead increased deaths among the oldest population, too. He says, as far as I know, This is the first full accounting of what's been going on beneath the COVID-covered surface, a topic on which the the media has shown almost no interest at all. You can read at the American Medical Association about overdoses or even a full roundup from ABC News, which is rather rare. People are dying across all demographics due to the radical transformation of life itself. In addition, he says new research is showing that there's been a huge increase in excess deaths in elder care homes, probably due to despair and loneliness from the prevention of family visits. The whole pattern is extraordinary and deeply tragic, says Jeffrey Tucker. And it was also entirely predictable. Instead of dealing rationally with a textbook virus as we had done during the whole of the 20th century, we embarked on a new social political experiment in lockdowns. We attempted to intimidate a virus with PhDs and political power, hoping it would shrivel and die, and in so doing, dramatically disabled human freedom and social functioning. And what do we have to show for it? Massive carnage and a virus that is still with us. Again, I'll have this in the show notes. Please check them out at thebrianhydeshow.com. I would say... Think this one through. That despair that comes from isolating loved ones, particularly elderly loved ones, is just as real as can be. I know people personally who are are grappling with this right now, saying, I'd rather see, you know, my loved one die of COVID-19 among family and see them die of loneliness. And us all sitting around, oh, secure in the knowledge, well, at least they avoided COVID. I know it's a hard thing to question. And this is the crazy thing with, as I mentioned, you know, the, the state of Utah now clamping down a mask mandate. Do you realize that the, the mask compliance was probably somewhere north of 80% in this state? It's not public places where people are getting exposed. The state statistics, or at least the governor, has has said people are getting exposed in private gatherings. But the bottom line is, the masks really don't work. 
If 80% of people are wearing these masks, if, if the, the, the public isn't where you're getting exposed, then what, what do they propose? I mean, they're, they're already saying, and this, this I believe, is, is the final straw for a lot of people. In, in my home state of Utah, we're being told no gatherings with anybody outside of your immediate family for the next two weeks. I got to pull up my calendar and take a look. So let's see, when is Thanksgiving? Are, are they telling us we need to cancel Thanksgiving? I got to see this for myself. All right, Thanksgiving is coming up. Isn't it on the 20? Yeah, it's on the 26th. Well, that's uh, <laughs> that's two weeks away. So, yeah, we're supposed to cancel Thanksgiving. Are we going to send out enforcers? Are we going to send people out there to check people's homes and make sure you have an extra car in your driveway? Can we see how many people are in your home? Look, I'm not suggesting that you got to throw caution to the wind. I'm just suggesting that let people make their own choices. Give them good information, not inflated numbers and not hyper, you know, sensationalized statistics. I've heard from a number of people who work in healthcare. The hospitals are not overwhelmed. There are certain hospitals that have been designated as COVID receiving facilities for people with COVID. And they may be seeing a very clear uptick in the number of people that they're treating at this moment. But this suggestion that the hospitals throughout the state are being overwhelmed and they don't have enough beds and, oh, it's a tragedy and it's a crisis, it's political theater. And it's scary how many people are willing to embrace it. I don't know if it's because if, we, we like that thrill of, of fear or what. But if there was ever a time to start questioning the narrative, this is that time. If there was a time to start questioning, am I willing to uh, to be arrested for going to see my dear old gray-haired mama for Thanksgiving? Maybe this is that time. I know you wouldn't knowingly expose your dear old gray-haired mama to COVID, but at the same time, where does the governor have legit authority to make these kinds of rules and have them enforced? I'd like to know. This is The Brian Hyde Show.